Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Joining us for the first or the second or the third time, it's relatively new, it's so good to be here, it's so good to journey in God's Word. We're at the end of our series in the book of Philippians that we've titled Worthy. Um, if you can make it, join us next week. Temba Rasakutuma is going to preach, and he always preaches up a storm. And um, the week after that, we have Easter and Holy Week. We'll be sending out a study guide for the whole church and for those to kind of guide us through the week to prepare our hearts as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday. And it's a good time. And so even though April is a time full of holidays and people go away, um, I would encourage you, the fuel price is too high to go away. Um, So... I'm joking. If you are taking a bit of a break, man, that's great. It's God-given. He wants us to rest well. So if you are going to take a break, be with family. I pray that you would really rest well. But if you're going to be in town, use the opportunity to kind of invite family and friends. Normally when people go away and some are left behind, um, it's a good time to invite them into community so that they can come and taste and see that in fact not community is good, but that the Lord is good. And so good things and exciting things that lay ahead in the time of April. Hopefully some rest as well. Great. Family, we've prayed a lot. I'm going to do a short prayer, just for our hearts and our minds as we now receive the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your Word. You are speaking. Help us that our hearts aren't hardened. Open our ears that we may hear your truth, and eyes that we may see the truth and the beauty of the gospel. Amen. Confucius once said, choose a job that you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. Has anyone ever heard that saying before? Has anyone ever experienced that before? No. It's utter and total rubbish. (laughs) He's probably sent or said many wise things, but that's the one thing that's probably one of the biggest lies of early philosophy coming out. Family, I love what I do. There's nothing else in the world that I would rather do than being a pastor and a church plant of the church. But there's many days that even within my job, that my job really feels laborious or just tough or working against me, where I've actually got to force myself to get out of bed and get into the office or do things or see people. It's just tough. And yet, we're all consciously or subconsciously fed this idea or this dream that there is this job out there that if you do that, everything will be perfect and you'll be satisfied and you'll be full of joy. And maybe it's not even the perfect job. Maybe it's the perfect relationship, that perfect car, that you drive that car, then you'll be happy. No, not even happy. Then you'll be content, not wanting anything else. If I can just have that, I'll be okay. And this is true no matter what generation you're part of. We've got different generations in the room right now. I'm going to compare two generations, how they experience this. Um, The baby boomer generation, I wonder who falls under the baby boomer generation. It's not me. Uh, But the baby boomer generation believed 
at once at a time, this is during the 50s and 60s and 70s, that fulfillment came actually by staying faithfully in the same job. So even if you didn't enjoy your job, if you stayed at the same job and you faithfully performed your work, at some time you will experience fulfillment. And so statistically, it's interesting that more than 50% of all baby boomers stayed for 20 years or longer at the same job. Millennials are a little bit different. I'm part of the millennial generation, believe it or not. We've got some Gen Zs in here. And then, I don't know what's after Gen Z, but we've got some people represented in the room. Um, Millennials believe slightly differently. We believe that satisfaction or job satisfaction should become instant. You know, meaning that... um, as soon as you start a job, you should experience the fulfillment and not wait a long time for the fulfillment to take and kick in. And so interestingly enough, most millennials will have seven different careers during their life and over 30 different jobs. So it's interesting to note that both sets of generations, even though they approached it very differently, they both had the same goal in mind. Maybe if I do something in a particular way and I find the recipe for success, at long last I will find contentment, satisfaction, that deep joy, that deep itch that I've been trying to scratch that I just can't find. People are still chasing the rainbow, thinking that happiness is just across the next hill. And they get there and the rainbow is shifted again. What makes it maybe even more challenging for our generation here today is that we've got social media. (laughs) And so not only are we fed this lie that somewhere out there lies contentment and satisfaction for our hearts and souls, but it's also exemplified by people posting immediately their new car or their new job or their new experience or their new holiday. And we think about the fact that somehow I'm missing out. I don't have that car. I don't have that holiday. I don't have that experience. I'm doing something wrong. Or my job is not giving me the opportunity to do what I really want to do. I want to travel more. I want to have more things. And it just fuels this discontentment within our hearts, thinking that we never really arrive, that we're always somehow missing out. You never seem to reach that place where you can just be content with what you have and who you are. The tide always rises. The more your income increases, the more things you actually need. And so you're never at that place where you are just content. I wonder what that thing is for you this morning. Think about it. What is that one thing that you think, man, if I have that, everything will just fall into place. Maybe it is that dream job. Maybe it's not the job, but what a good job may give you. Maybe it's success or recognition. Maybe it's the financial stability that will help you be in control finally of your own life. Maybe it's something good of wanting to provide just for your home and for your family. Maybe even extended family, those parents that were looking after you, that mother that actually put you through school and varsity. If you can just buy a home for them, just look after them, then finally... You'll be content, you'll be at peace, you've reached your goal. It's not even bad things, but nonetheless, it is still things or people or experiences that we think will make us content. 
And I've got to be honest with you, we millennials often get a bad rap for this. Um, we, we have the repu reputation of being the impatient and impulsive generation. Wanting instant gratification and success without earning it. We are the ADD generation, marked by discontentment. And yet, ironically, family, this morning that we're going to discover, to be content does not mean that we should have no discontentment in our lives. Rather, it means that we should be discontent with the right things, or with the right thing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about lives being centered around the truth of the gospel and to discover the secret of contentment, not being driven by want, but rather operating out of a place of peace and joy and fulfillment. So if you do have a Bible with you, you can open with me at the passage at Philippians 4. It's a great passage and one that's been often quoted and misquoted, as we'll discover this morning. Um, and we're at the end of our series in the book of Philippians titled Worthy. And it's called Worthy because in Philippians 1.27, Paul says, I urge you, church, and I urge you, Red Door, to live lives worthy of the gospel that you've been called to. Make sure that your life represents or exemplifies this truth that you're believing and so Paul showed us that the way that we should be doing this is to hold on to the truth of the gospel, that we should pull into Christian community, that we should live in humility and in peace with one another. Paul showed us how we should, the gospel allows us to relate to God in the right way. The gospel shows us how we should view ourselves in the right way. The gospel even shows us how we should see one another and in what light we've seen one another. If you've missed Christy's sermon last week, I urge you go and watch it in the way that Christian community should relate one another in the light of the gospel. But today we're talking about how we should relate to our surroundings. The relationship that we have with creation itself and often the fulfillment that we try to find in our external circumstances. And a great theme that's been running throughout the book of Philippians is Many of you have been journeying with us as one of finding joy in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord, especially as so many other things are promising joy, peace, and fulfillment. And so, read with me verse 10. Paul starts us once again off in the same manner. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now the question is why? Why, in this instance, did Paul rejoice in the Lord greatly? Why? Now that you, at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Meaning, this is what Paul is saying, that the Philippian church, they've been for a while concerned about Paul, but they had no opportunity to materially demonstrate their concern for Paul. And so now the opportunity came where they could send a gift materially to Paul. And so Paul received this gift from them and he rejoices. Well, at least that's what we assume. Paul rejoices because his material needs have been met. God has answered his prayers. God has come through for Paul and that is why he's rejoicing in the Lord. He had this need, he's in prison, he's got no one to look after him and suddenly this gift from the Philippian church arrives and Paul says, thank you God for this gift at long last you've looked after me. At least that's what I would have done. 
That's when I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord when he answers my prayers. I rejoice in the Lord when my desires or my needs have been met. Whoops, good catch. It's only then that I praise God, as we should, because remember, God is the provider. He is the giver of good things. And so when God answers my prayers, and when he gives me material benefit, I praise him as the giver of good things. Who rejoices when, they meet, when their needs aren't met? <laughs> what type of person would rejoice when the Lord didn't answer your prayer? When you didn't get that job? When the relationship didn't go well? When you actually lost some things? When physically you're being afflicted? Who would then rejoice in the Lord? See, family, for most of the time, and this is very true of myself as well, if we're honest with one another, our rejoicing is linked to our external circumstances. When things are going well externally, it dictates how I react internally and whether I've got peace or joy or contentment. Yet if we read on, we see that this is not why Paul was rejoicing in the Lord. Read with me on the screen verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. And so according to Paul, even though he was experiencing need, he was in need, that he was content in his situation. Even though he experienced some material need, he was still content. So why then was Paul rejoicing if not for the material gift that he received from the church? Or read with me verses 14 to 17. Paul says... Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And now verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So the thing that Paul was hoping to see, the thing that got him excited, was not the material gift that the church gave. Good as it was, I'm sure. Helpful as it was in that time. Rather, the fruit that it was showing, that's the thing that got Paul excited. Paul got excited that at long last the Philippian church was growing in maturity. At long last, he was seeing how the gospel was impacting their lives and also their pockets, how they were now sacrificially being able to partner with Paul in the gospel, even though it might have meant shame for them in that time. And now they materially and financially giving towards Paul. And that just really excites Paul because he believes now, at long last, they're not just saying something with their lips, they're actually believing it in their heart. They're partnering in the ministry of the gospel with Paul. Sacrificially, not just sharing themselves, but also their livelihoods. And I mean, that's great. It's a, it's a great thing for Paul to be excited about. It's great that the church is growing in maturity. It's great that Paul's excited about that. But, <laughs> but family, how, how do you get to that space? Where you're more concerned with someone else's spiritual growth 
than your own physical needs. There's a bit of a skeptic part of me reading this, seeing Paul in prison as he's writing this, and I'm like, do you really mean that, Paul? It's not going well with you. Are you simply saying this to earn that credence? Like, you guys didn't have to send this to me, but I'm glad that you sent this gift because it's showing me that your heart is more in love with Jesus. I'm like, that's pretty extreme to be that type of person. That that's the thing you're concerned about, not about your next meal? How do you grow to be in such a position that you are excited about people's spiritual growth rather than your own physical well-being? How do you develop that kind of vision? It's a, it's a great sticker to put on my fridge or something, but to do it myself? That's a hard ask. Well, listen to Paul's explanation in verses 11 to 13, why that is natural to him. Why this is happening, that he's able to care more about the spiritual fruit than his own physical needs. Verses 11 to 13, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is truly amazing. These are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible and some of the most misquoted ones as well. Most of us, I'm sure, would have heard of Philippians 4.13 before. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I know of professional sports teams who print that on their jerseys. They can do all things through God who strengthens them, thinking that it means God will give them the power to accomplish whatever it is that they want to accomplish. That's why God gives me power, so that my dreams can come true. Yet Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content, to be at peace with my circumstances. I have been in situations of abundance, And scarcity, says Paul, materially speaking. Paul says that that he learned that there's this secret that you can uncover that will help you be content no matter the situation. We kind of used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, but it's the same principle. If you're in a car and you're on your journey, no matter what's happening on the outside of the car, whether there's storms or flooding or potholes or the road is rough, no matter what's happening outside of the car, if you're inside the car and you're just jamming your tunes, you're having a good time, the windows are up, the wipers are going, you're singing, it's very much what's happening to Paul right now. Externally, there's so much going on right now, but internally, he's at peace. And the question is, what is your secret, Paul? How do you find that contentment? How can I be at a space where I'm not swayed by my everyday needs and circumstances? To be honest with you guys, I would really want this because I hate that. I hate that as soon as I read something on the news or as soon as the petrol price goes up or something or there's a fight with my wife, it disturbs my internal peace. I'm not talking about things not upsetting us. 
and not being sad and not being joyous. We always will have external emotions or emotions connected to our external circumstances. But a lot of these things do much more than just affect my emotions. It actually affects my contentment. It affects what I'm living for right now. So how do I get to a space where that doesn't dictate what I do with my life? Rather, my internal vision, what I've given for, that dictates what I'm for. On the back of this, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Meaning that on the back of this, scarcity, need, abundance, what Paul is saying is that God has given him the strength to endure all all the external circumstances, not to change the external circumstances and still be content, to still find and enjoy contentment, which is amazing. I want that. I want to be that person that enjoys contentment and is simply not swayed by his or her external circumstances. This is the power that God gives us to help us accomplish that, not our own agendas, Nowhere does this promise that your external circumstances will change. God might. But what if he doesn't? But what if your prayers don't go or do go unanswered? What do we do then? Well, Paul has found this secret, this mystery. And God is giving him the power to hold on to it. So what is it? And where do we find it? What is this secret to contentment? that Paul is speaking about. Well, family, it's the same thing that he wishes for the church in Philippi in verse 19. Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. The secret of contentment is understanding that every need that we have is met within Jesus. He says this differently in another passage in Ephesians 1 verse 3. It's on the screen. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not he will bless. Not if you do the right things, then God will give it to you. He has already given it to you. What's interesting about this, the secret of contentment, if you're a Christian, has already been given to, given to you. It's in your bank account. Somehow we're just overlooking it and we're not accessing the funds that are there. Apparently we already have everything we need. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God fully supplies our every need in Jesus Christ. And so the mystery has to lie within the relationship. The secret or the answer lies within knowing Jesus. Family, it's in this true and intimate relationship and only in this intimate and true relationship with Christ that our restless hearts can finally find peace and contentment. Here is the great news this morning. Here is the great message that was communicated by the Lord's Supper that will be communicated again by Easter. Here is the great message that we share in week out. 
week in and week out. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross, it means that there is now nothing between us and God. That we can freely enter into this relationship with Christ. That we can enjoy, the Bible says, a union with Christ. Unity with Jesus. Through faith and by the Spirit. In the same way that a husband and wife actually enjoys unity with one another and union with one another, that's the type of relationship that we are now invited into with Jesus. And it's in that union, once we go into that relationship with Christ, that we experience true acceptance, true validation. It's in that union where all our other fears are taken away, even the fear of missing out. Because we know that there is no experience or nothing out there that can quite satisfy like Jesus Christ. And so even our FOMO is taken away by our relationship with Christ. We have it all in Jesus. In that union, we don't have to chase the ever-fleeting rainbow for fulfillment because we've already received it within Christ. He is the one that cares for us, that looks after us. And the deeper we move into this relationship, the more we believe this truth and the more real our contentment becomes. So much so that the external forces do not hold sway over our peace, even though we might still get disheartened, even though we might experience joy and sadness and loss and all these emotions will still be true. But what happens externally will not determine our internal peace. That is now determined by Christ, and he is good. Family, the gospel means that we can now get to know Christ as much as we want. We can get as close as we want to him. And this is where our millennial discontentment should come in, which is actually a good thing. This is the only place where we should feel some measure of discontentment. The discontentment that we should have this morning is in how close we are to Jesus. I'm not talking about our status as sons and daughters of God. If you're a Christian, you've already been accepted. You're a son, you're a daughter. There's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can make you more privileged than the house of God. But there is something in enjoying the relationship more or less moving closer to the Father through the Son, or moving further away from Him. And because Jesus is so good and God is infinite, there is no limit to how much we can enjoy Him. The moment you get closer to Him, you discover another level. The moment you get deeper to Jesus' heart, you discover another side of the gospel that you never fully understood until now. There's no end or bottom of the well in getting to know Jesus. And having this good relationship with Christ. Meaning that we should have some measure of discontentment of how close we are to him. So that it pushes us to always want to move closer to him. The problem that I think we have this morning is that we're not discontent enough. At least we're not discontent with the right things. With how much we know Jesus. You're probably sitting here this morning. Because all of us have, at some point in time, tasted the goodness of Christ. 
tasted the goodness, maybe of Christian community, maybe in ordering your life according to how God has ordained it in his good word, maybe tasted it through study of the Bible, going to church, obeying his word. You've seen some good fruit of your life. You've seen that there's actually some wisdom in following this path. But a lot of us then stop and we think that's it. That's all that there is to know about God. We've, we've now come to know the gospel. We have our Christian community and we stop moving closer. We have no more discontentment. Family, Jesus wants so much more for you. He wants you to enjoy him so much more than you are right now. He invites you to enjoy him so much more. And not just through third-party encounters. Not just through a Sunday sermon. Not just through Christian fellowship. Not just through Christian worship songs. Not just through reading the Bible. Jesus actually wants to get to know you personally. And he wants you... Well, he knows you perfect. So let's rather say it this way. He wants you to get to know him more and more intimately. Don't be satisfied with what you've already tasted. There are a million more flavors for you to get to know in Jesus. And the more content our hearts will be, the less we will search exhaustingly for that experience that will finally scratch the itch. The next thing we buy to experience that high or the next thing, the next challenge we set ourselves or the next compliment we receive. We need to find it in Jesus. And here's our family. It's going to sound really simple, but it's really true. The way we find this and find it in Jesus is just to be with Jesus. Not Jesus' activities, but be more with Jesus. Talk more with Jesus. Think more about him. Contemplate every morning and in silence, what does it mean that he loves you? That he cares for you? That he accepts you just as you are, but pushes you to be more like him? Tell Jesus what this means to you. Sit and listen. Create more space and time simply to be with Jesus. I don't know if this is just a guy thing, but um, I'm somehow, or a lot of times, so solutionist driven that I make my time with Christ an activity. Study this, write down this, know this many facts. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And it's so easy through the busyness of life that our relationship becomes activity-based and not relational. And so you might be sitting here this morning wondering why you're doing all the right things. Why aren't you experiencing this love of Christ? And you're doing everything that describes Jesus, but you haven't actually sat down with Jesus himself. Communion reminds us that he invites you to the table. It's not us approaching him. He approached us. One thing that I can definitely promise you, if you were to do this, 
I'm not even worried whether this experience will be enough for you, whether it will measure up to everything else in there. I know it will because it will exceed everything because we know who he is. Family, one thing that we want to encourage one another, let's not be satisfied. Let's be discontent with the occasional check-in with Christ. Even as I'm saying this this morning, I'm, I'm very aware of all the challenges that's in our way. I'm very aware of what makes this difficult. I know that not only does the whole world scream every moment of every day for you just not to look at God, how many of us actually switch our phones off for some time of the day? It's almost impossible. And so we're always available. We're always there for the next thing. We're always plugged into the matrix, it feels like. Sorry, that's an old movie. I'm an old reference. <laughs> Everything screams, just be distracted. And it's not just the world, it's my own thoughts. I've, I've somehow, I've got the inability to capture a thought. I've got the inability to sit down and just be with Jesus regularly, and this just poisons my attempts to be with Him. It's almost, when I start, I become awkward, because I don't know what to do now. There's no script to tell me what to say or what to pray. There's nothing to tell me how to interact with God. This is something that is unscripted. And because of the awkwardness of that, I somehow just leave it and go on to the activity. Family, let's, let's become comfortable with our awkwardness with Christ. That we don't have the answers. Let's move into the space of relationship. That's not a scripted space. But that is definitely an open space for us. And even though there's so many things that distracts us or keeps us away or keeps us disengaged with the good news of Jesus, there is still hope. It's amazing. God will still help. He will strengthen. He will empower you so that you can know him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can experience all of knowing that God will still empower me for not only the work that I am to do, but for the relationship. So family, we can pray this. We can claim this, that God will give you the power to also know Him. Not only does He open the way and path the way, but He gives you the power to move into the awkward spaces, the unknown spaces. And He gives us the body. He gives us all of these tools, but let's not be distracted by the activities. Let's still spend time with Christ. Lastly, family, we see that the great fruit of knowing Him. We see it in two places this morning. One, we see it in how it just changes Paul's genuine concern. Isn't it amazing how God changed Paul's heart? Paul was this 100% activity-driven guy that got all his acclamation from the things that he did for the church. And God just changed that. And now he's a person genuinely concerned with people's well-being. That's the fruit of just getting to know Christ. And not only that, we see that it also changes the way that we interact with the people in the world around us in a generous way. Isn't it amazing that this is the sign of maturity for the Philippian church? This is the thing that encouraged Paul. That the more that they got content with Christ, the more they got into the relationship with Jesus, they were 
less inclined to holding on to their own security. Because that's in a sense what we do with our money. We don't keep it just for the things that we want to do. We keep it for security. We keep it for our plan B. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise. That's not what I'm saying. But it is amazing how being plugged into Jesus gives us generous hearts, sacrificially supporting one another. And family, lastly, we see that all of this happens. God uses this glorious transformation. He uses lives that live worthy of the gospel, that's plugged into community, sacrificially giving, loving, getting to know him more. And this is how Paul ends the letter. God uses this all to the glory of God and the Father. Let me pray for us. Father God, even as we end off this series, we are thankful that you are enough. Jesus, what you came to do on the cross is enough. There's nothing that we can do to add or to subtract to what has been done on the cross. And yet, we have to admit that we are so distracted by everything happening around us that we struggle to see and recognize that glorious truth. And so we're chasing our tails. And Father, we're tired. <laughs> we're exhausted living in constant FOMO. Constant fear of not being enough not doing enough, not experiencing enough. Father, we, we feel burnt out. And we know that a lot of this actually comes from a heart that just isn't content and satisfied in you. And so we pray this morning that we can't do this by ourselves. Father, please strengthen us that we can do all these things, no endure all these circumstances and still love you more. Jesus, may we be a community and a church as, and individuals that aren't just busy with Jesus' activities, but people that are able to sit at the foot of the Father, almost like the children being invited by Jesus. Come and sit at my feet. Lord, help us to come and sit at your feet and to be with you. All of this is happening because there's nothing removing us from you. There's no one ushering us away. There's no voice of God telling, I don't have time for you. You're not important enough. Because of the blood of Christ, we are now sons and daughters, and we have free access to grace, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.